0: Uh, i'm picking up where the bible left off because that's why that's my safe spot that's my safety zone right i think i learned that one kevin james reference anyway when Gallio was the proconsul of Achaea, the jews of corinth made a united attack on paul and brought him to the place of judgment here's our next verse uh, they brought them to the place of judgment. Thankfully, Maddie just came from verse 9 and 10. Thankfully, Maddie just came from verses 9 and 10 where she said this, the promise of God are mysterious and beautiful. And so in that verse 9 and 10, here's what the Lord said to Paul. He said, you will not be harmed. That's kind of interesting, right? Because all of a sudden, the very next thing that's happening is there's a united front. There's a united attack on this, uh, on this man, on this man, Paul. And so here's what happens next. <clears throat> here's what's next. Read it with me. This man is persuading the people, this is the Jews bringing the united attack, to worship God in ways contrary to the law. And just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio, which is the proconsul, he's the Roman governor of the day, he said to them, the Jews, the united front attacking Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about a misdemeanor or some serious crime, dot, dot dot and for that reason alone i'm out i'm out so i'm out that's sheer insanity i'm out i think it's an insult that you wouldn't offer us part of the bigger picture i'm out all right Carmen. i'm not gonna invest in your schmickles i'm out so i'm out i don't want to be in the sushi business so i'm out the smuffins were good i'm out That's my favorite one. The muffins are good, so I'm out. Now, actually, here's what happened. Then the crowd turns on Sosthenes, the new synagogue leader. Wait a tick. Where's the old synagogue leader? (laughs) <laughs> He's being baptized. The, <laughs> the old synagogue leader is rolling with Paul through the baptismal. So there's this new guy in town named Sosthenes. And Sosthenes is the new synagogue leader, and they beat him in front of the pro council. Now, I'm sure that Sosthenes is ticked, absolutely ticked. And he probably felt like some bad characters from last week were rounded up and brought in. And so Sosthenes was like, oh, I went way back into YouTube to find that one for y'all and you are welcome. You're welcome. That was Sosthenes. If you know that story, what happens next is Sosthenes goes down, and they're beating on him. All right, here we go. We're going to sail through verses 18 through 23, but it's pretty important, uh, that little sail joke I I just made. From Corinth, Paul's going to go to Syria. From Syria, they're going to roll to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is important because you may have heard of a little letter to the Ephesians. Why is Paul writing that? Because he's going to stay in the city of Ephesus for three years. So Paul, on this journey, this is taking years at a time because in Ephesus alone, he'll be there from three years. And as he left, this is within our passage, as he left, Paul promises, I will come back if it is God's will, spoiler alert, it will be. From Ephesus, he's going to land at Caesarea. From Caesarea, he's going to go to Jerusalem. I need you to see really quickly what this means, so I'm walking to point. He goes from... Ephesus to here, and he strengthens churches, and he rolls down to Caesarea. You may remember what happened in the book of Acts, give or take chapter 2. Pentecost came, and it was from this inception moment that the church began to spread. The Holy Spirit went out And the call was to believers all over the world. And what Paul is literally doing is he is circumferencing to the best of his ability, the known world. Because he's got this promise that Jesus made in his back pocket, which says, whenever you take my gospel to the ends of the earth, then I will come back and I will restore. And so he's going to the origin point back down to Jerusalem to say, essentially, I've made it, I have made it. Well, bad news for old Solly boy because he's about to immediately begin his third journey. He's gonna go up, up the coast to Antioch where he is going to begin to retrace again his first and second missionary journey. The question for us is why? Why does Paul go back and retrace his steps? The answer is because throughout this entire time, as we have watched the story, he is building up churches. He is building up people and leaving them in places so he can go do the next thing. And the whole point of showing you these maps again and again and again is to give you a Pauline worldview, which he says, if I can circumference the, the world as I know it, then Jesus will return. And in the meantime, I will keep building the church. And this is uh, incredible. So the other piece of why I keep showing you these maps and keep giving you these names is that this is our context for the New Testament. After Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get this book, Acts, that we're reading through. And then that comes, what comes back into the book of Acts is all the Pauline epistles. It's letters to the church, Ephesians, Colossians, Corinthians, These are all letters back to the people that Paul will scream at with his pen. There are people that he is praying and fasting for. These are people he says, I yearn to be with you. These are people who he says very hard things to about their life and the choices they're making, the way they're living. What we get in the epistles, the letters, the back part of the New Testament, we get moments of teaching of Paul to his friends, his churches, and the thing that you guys need to catch is that Paul calls all these places, all these red dots, he calls all the people there his children. There's a reason that we show you this map because I need you to get this picture that Paul never runs off on his people. Now, meanwhile, while Paul is getting ready to start up in Antioch and roll through Galatia, oh, hello, book of Galatians, there we are again, what we get is the next part of the story from our writer writer Luke in Acts is we're gonna jump all the way to Ephesus. So Paul is gonna be back here circling this chunk of the city, but we're gonna go back to Ephesus because in Ephesus, there's a new teacher in town. His name is Apollos. Here we go, verse 24. At Ephesus, Paul's gonna leave Priscilla and Aquila. He himself is gonna go to the synagogue and reason. Ephesus, Jews are gonna ask him to say stay and he'll say, no thanks, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, here we are, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man who had a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. I love this. So we're going to now learn about Apollos from the voice, from the pen of Luke. Apollos had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke, Apollos spoke with great fervor, and he teaches about Jesus accurately. Apollos knows only of the baptism of John, and then he'll begin to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, Apollos, they invited Apollos to their home, and they began to explain to him the way of God more accurately. This is incredible for me, and now I actually have a question for y'all. The question is this. Nope, not that question. This question. (laughs) Uh, Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. That question's coming. Here it is. All right, let me go right back. Oh, my gosh. I'm all out of sorts. Something about my, my notes this time. Apollos well, only knows this. Priscilla and Aquila hear him. They invite him to the home. They explain it more accurately. And here's the question. As Paul hears about this, is he satisfied? Same question Maddie asked. Your turn to talk again. I will be more quiet than she will, so you will answer me. Ready? You talk it, and then we'll talk it. Go. Oh, my. High fives in the back. All right, here we go. So uh, we'll start with this. We'll start with this. Everybody's, everybody's voting for me. Is Paul satisfied with the way that uh, Priscilla and Aquila are handling it? And are they satisfied with where uh, Apollo's rolling in and the Jews and everything? So start here. Thumbs up down midway-ish. I got Okay, that's awkward. Hard to understand. Good. Lots of yeses. Lots of yeses. Say. <laughs> Right, there might be another one. I got it. weird. Thank you. Awkward enough for me to understand it. I loved it. Okay, very good. Um, why? So this is your chance to talk if you if you are so inclined. Why? Why is he satisfied with the way that the church that he's left is acting? Anybody got that one for me? I'm a hundred percent in agreement with this. He not only has a thorough knowledge about where he's speaking from, but he's doing it well, right? He is holding the Jesus character of his story accurately, but yet not completely. And I love, I love that pickup. They took this young man, grown man, middle man, I don't know who, how old he was. They took him to their home, right? This is not, this is not a critique or a correction in public. This is in no way young friends is this a shaming moment we made a huge deal last week about people who are are putting their toes into spiritual waters those are the people we naturally naturally must gravitate towards but it's never like this it's always with invitation to come and see i love that we see that again and again and again with jesus they invite them to their home and then they begin to explain it more accurately you can read it ongoing for yourself here's the negative side the negative side is this is uh the church in ephesus and then we're going to see it again in corinth that there's a problem that is beginning to happen so did anybody give a thumbs down with the satisfaction of paul everybody was kind of halfway or up yeah because here's the other side of the story you halfway folks are actually getting correct um Here's what we see whenever we begin to read not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts in order, but whenever we start to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and they all go like this. And then what we do is we begin to read Acts, and we begin to learn that all the epistle letters feed into the storyline like this. Anytime that we see cities, what you guys as maturing believers should begin to do is wonder wonder about the church and the people in that particular city and then go look at the teaching that Paul gives back to the particular city. Right? This should blow your mind a little bit. When I see Ephesus, I should go look at Ephesians. When I read Corinth, I should go look at 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And whenever I read the name Apollos, I immediately think 1 Corinthians 3, just like all of you. and So that's where I'm going to take you to close this whole thing out. So 1 Corinthians 3 is incredible. 1 Corinthians 3 says this. Now, this is incredible because this might sound a lot like you and I. Um, in the Ephesian church, in the Corinthian church, Paul begins to get frustrated. See, the church is going to begin to look and sound like the culture of the day. In each ancient city, there's a natural tendency to identify with a particular speaker. In ancient cities, not today, but in ancient cities, to identify with a particular speaker or philosopher who would then attract the most students or disciples. And so competition began to spring up among the leaders, teachers, philosophers of the day. And that competition would then filter down to their students. And then the students would begin to consider themselves superior to others. And the Corinthian church had this similar outlook to the Ephesians church. And they began to apply that to Paul and Apollos. And their attachment of the followers of Paul would begin to separate themselves from followers of Apollos. Guys, this is a cancer in the church. And it's called spiritual elitism. Whenever I follow the correct pastor or the correct leader who is able to read the word of God correctly and feed it to me, then we have what 1 Corinthians 3 says, milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it yet. This is Paul writing, and he says to his church there, you are still not ready, you are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you're acting like humans, Now immediately when you guys hear that word jealousy and you've been in our sermons here through the book of Acts, you know that the number one thing that breaks down the church and Paul's getting thrown into jail, the riots, if you will, is jealousy at the numbers. And Paul hates this. He says, I am giving you milk, not meat. Now this is a Lent joke if I've ever heard it. And so we will get that in very quickly. My better question is this. What are the distinctives? What's the difference between milk and meat? What is the difference between milk and meat? And so I'll give you a chance to talk about that, and then I'll talk to you. Ready, to go. All right, here we go. I'm ready for it. Big ending. Get us to the end. This is, uh, Maddie was like, thumping the pulpit, so I'm, I'm out of time already. So what? That's Bible thumping. All right, here we go. What are the distinctives? Start in the middle. What is, what's it, a distinctive of solid food? Christian, a meat eater, if you will. Have to it. <laughs> okay. Maybe even have to chew it. It's something that I know what I'm eating, Right? Like, I'm actually wrestling with this, and I can't just take a bite and swallow it. Love that. It's good. Uh, food will actually sustain you and be able to keep you through your faith, or milk is just be that's just small, just a small Love that. The idea of temporalness, that's so good. There's a bunch of calorie-dense foods, and then milk, um, yeah, won't sustain you for long. That's why babies wake up every three hours, want to eat. True story. Okay. Mmm. The difference between a milk eater, drinker, milk drinker, and a meat eater, a meat eating believer feeds themselves. Love that. Guys, this is my walkway. This is the whole sermon right here. This is a big close, big ending. Okay? Meat eaters. Deep corners. Mmm. That's good. Metaphorically speaking, I love that. It's fun to like, do a drive through right? It's fun to be like, a number two, and then I know exactly what to do, versus I'm going to the grocery store, I'm buying what I need, chopping, preparing, grilling, it's meat, so we're going to grill it, obviously, it's the only proper way to do that. I love that. It takes time to prepare it. This isn't drive through faith. Love that. Anybody else? Got one? I love it. Here's what 1 Corinthians 3 continues to say. This is Paul talking to his people. He says, I plant seed. Apollos will water it. But God is making it grow. This is an incredible, let me go back because I just, I love 1 Corinthians 3 so much. The thing I probably should have highlighted when I was making this slide um, is I probably should have made a bigger deal about you're still not ready. My question is, my question is this. Is a milk drinker versus a meat eater, are they spiritually safe? Are they spiritually welcome at the table? The answer is always yes. My young friends, whenever we are on campus, whenever we are in our homes over break, whenever we're with our roommates who aren't here tonight, whenever we are with anyone and we have people who are starting to press to the boundaries of spirituality, who are starting to ask the questions that require faith, we are bringing them to the table. They may not yet profess Jesus. But that is not a barrier to invite them to the table. And when they do make it to the table, by definition, they begin to drink milk. Which means the expectations and the maturity that I have grown as a 39-year-old is not placed over anyone else. Because all of a sudden, I am giving someone else a level that he or she cannot live up to. But here she must grow into. And that's the beauty of the table, because everyone is welcome here. And so I don't know if you're a milk drinker right now, because that's the other thing about this whole st- danger storyline. It's a dangerous story. Ah, no, I can't look at you and know I can't look at you and know, and you can't walk out of these doors and know anyone else. That's why the methodology of a meat eater is to always invite to the table. And here's the best news. That is also the methodology of a milk drinker because that one we can all get right. You are welcome to welcome others to the table. We see it again and again again. And again, in Scripture, this is an incredible personal message for some of the milk drinkers in the room. If you find yourself comparing yourself to anyone or anything else, you're invited to know that there's more out there. Let me say it again. If you find yourself comparing who you are, what you believe, if you find yourself trying to size up yourself relative to another you're welcome to know there is so much more on the table for you to eat, but you're not yet. As soon as CSF puts itself higher than Chi Alpha, as soon as we set our, ourself apart and better than crew, as soon as Navigators is Step down in attendance, therefore we feel a little bit better. As soon as your church looks at another church who professes belief in Jesus and you put your nose classically up into the air like this, you, my young friends, are on the danger zone of being a milk drinker. And here's the beauty, you're safe and your salvation is okay, but you're not quite ready for meat here's what we need to be inviting people to again and again and again. The idea that Christ was a man, a person who moved in our world, that he then brought a truth that he lived out that you and I could not. And now, because of his life, death, resurrection, he sends his spirit for you and I to walk differently in this community today. Those are the roots of a meat-eating Christian, And so people are all around the table, and our work is to keep inviting them in. Man, I get pumped up about that one. I'm walking Kirkwood today. I meet Mike. Mike has slept outside in February in the 25 degrees. His lip is split open because it's so cold and he's dehydrated. It is the most simple thing in the world for me to look at him in the eye, and that is the beginning of inviting him to the table. And he says, Can I get a cup of coffee? I'm I'm running a little early for Hugh Mark. And so I say, yeah. And so Mike pulls a chair to the table. And it cost me $2.43 but I could only do that because I was looking for him. And I don't know who the Mike is out there for you or the Matilda, if it's a female. I don't know who that is, but it's your work to know that Christ is a person who would walk amongst the poor, would walk amongst the broken, who walks among you, who brings a truth that Mike's failures in his do not define who he is in the eyes of God and therefore he is welcome to the table. Getting a little goosebumps. You should probably pray and end it right there, huh? Okay, that's your call too. Find your people and grow in this developing ability to know and eat meat. And it's gonna look unique to all of us, but it always is gonna center around Jesus's reality, the truth. And the life that He now gives us makes sense. All right, let's pray.